Okay, good morning everyone. Good to see you. If you've not met me, my name is Stuart, leader of the church here. Very warm welcome to you. If you have a Bible, could you please go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We are going to get back in there with our sermon series. Now, before you do that, I've got a book to recommend. I've got five copies to give away for free. So if you like the sound of this, come and grab one. Uh, This is called Jesus Through the Eyes of Women by a lady named Rebecca McLaughlin. I have recommended a book by her before, just after the summer, called Confronting Jesus, which was excellent, all about Jesus. This one uh, is uh, all about how do we understand Jesus, or how can we understand Jesus through the eyes of the women he interacted with. You've got Mary Magdalene, you've got Mary's mother, you've got the unnamed woman in the well, and on and on. Jesus interacted with various women through the gospel. And Rebecca McLaughlin, who is a super smart PhD woman, she's an English woman now living in the States, she's written an excellent book on how we can learn more about Jesus and how we interact with women in his culture and what he did. And so I read this, thought it was fantastic. Uh, I've got five copies of Matthew, glamorous assistant. Do you want to come and grab them and go and offer them around? If you'd like a copy, please wave. Matthew will come and give it to you. The rest of you, let's get back to Matthew chapter 5. We're in our series, seven series, hashtag blessed, looking at the Beatitudes we started two weeks ago. So if you've missed them, please catch up. They're online. You can go and listen uh, to the sermons. At the beginning of the year, we looked at uh, Psalm 23. and We looked, reminded us that the Lord was our shepherd. What we're now doing, moving into the Beatitudes, is we're hearing from the shepherd on how we live as sheep following him, as people of his kingdom. So that's what we're doing. And we're looking at um, this idea of hashtag bless. And the world uses this a lot, this phrase, hashtag bless. If you go on social media, you'll find millions upon millions upon millions of posts with hashtag blessed in. And what we're realizing is the world's definition of hashtag blessed is different to Jesus' definition of hashtag blessed. And so what we're looking at today through this series is what, how Jesus defines hashtag blessed. More than just the good things we have in life, which are good and gifts from God, but actually part of, part of Jesus' kingdom there is a different dynamic. He's in an upside, he leads an upside down kingdom. We've seen Jesus has come as the new Moses through the Gospel of Matthew. First four chapters, Matthew has framed Jesus as a new Moses, come to lead his people out of slavery and to bring a new law to his people, which is summed up in the Sermon on the Mount. We're looking at the first part of that, and we're looking at what it means to be hashtag blessed in his kingdom. And Beatitudes, those first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 5 are referred to as the Beatitudes. It's from the Latin word Beatus, meaning happy or blissful. And what we've seen is that the word used there that's translated in our English blessed, the essence behind it is uh, the idea of flourishing in God's kingdom. What does it mean to be someone who is happy, fortunate, and flourishing in the kingdom of God. And we find, if we go back into our Old Testament, we say the same word used in the Psalms, in Psalm chapter 1, where it says, Blessed, same word there, is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but he delights in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season. His leaf does not wither. And all that he does prosper. There's an idea of flourishing there. So as we go through this, we see what it means to flourish in God's kingdom. And today we're looking at the second beatitude. Last week we looked at the first one. Uh, I'm hashtag blessed when I recognize my need for Jesus. What it meant to be poor in spirit. For those who are poor in spirit, who recognize their need before God, they will then, and 
they will receive the kingdom of God. And we delve into that and what that meant. If you missed that, please go back and review it because that's like the gateway to all that comes after me. We do not recognize our poverty of spirit for God and how in need we are of him. The rest of the stuff that follow won't stack up and build up and you might be left with a to-do list. I need to do this and that rather than it comes out of a recognition of what we need in our lives. Through that we flourish in his kingdom. So what we're going to do first off is we're going to read the Beatitudes together. Um, it's going to appear on the screen behind me. I will lead you in that. So let's do that. Here we go. I'm count down three, two, one, and then we're going to read that together. So three, two, one, go. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before Big idea for this morning. Big idea for this morning. I am hashtag blessed when I grieve the presence and effects of sin and find my comfort in God. I am hashtag blessed when I grieve the presence and effects of sin and find my comfort in God. What's going to happen today is we're going to break the length of the sermon into two parts. We're going to look at what it means, uh, blessed are those who mourn, and then we'll look at what it means that they shall be comforted. Aaron, to me, is going to help out. He's going to do that first section, and then I'm going to come back and do the second section. Good morning, I'm Aaron, I'm one of the directors here at Real Life and together with Gigi, Elizabeth and Joshua, uh, we've been here for about nine years. So, hashtag blessed, blessed are those who mourn or flourishing are those deeply grieving. Let's try and ignore those logical, that logical inconsistency for a moment and just focus on what is this attitude that Jesus is be attituding here? Now, on first glance, that feels like a silly question. We know what it means. It's an English word. Um, some of us have been through mourning. Not all. But there's the challenge. See, is Jesus saying that only if a dearly loved one passes away, and only during that brief period, uh, do we then get elevated to that status of Macario's blessedness? feels wrong and, to be honest, somewhat awkwardly discriminatory. But on the other hand, if you flip it the other way, it's, it can't be about the general vagaries of life 
or about um, if, you, if you're just having a bad day. There's got to be a balance somewhere. Now, if you look at the original word, it's pretty hard and unflinching. It means to grieve, lament, uncontrollably in a way that cannot be hid over the death of someone or over a deep hope that dies or comes to a divine closure. So yes, it veers over to the intense side. But yes, it, it is possible to extend the concept to a non-physical case. I'll give you an example. Now, during COVID, we weren't able to come together as a church um, for Christmas. And just so the impact of that statement is clear, it's not John Lewis or Marks and Spencer's. This is where Christmas actually happens. And during that time, I heard Melanie say that she mourned for Christmas. Now, when I heard that, it, it sounded strange to me. I haven't heard the word used in that word before, in that sense before. But knowing Melanie and how much she treasures Christmas at real life, it was strangely fitting. So in that context, it was about coming up against an overwhelming eventuality that you cannot overcome. The deep heaviness of heart that recognizes you can do nothing. So you can expand it. I mean, th there are other cases that you can look at, like for a career that you've invested so much of yourself into, and that's gone. Or childbearing, or if a child chooses to forsake you. Th these, are, these are hard things. If it happens, God forbid, you cannot fight it. You don't want to think about them either. But then there's the obvious interpretation of uh, physical uh, death. Some of you know my father passed away a month and a bit back, and truth be told, I'm still reeling from everything it means to me. And I found that when it happened, during the funeral, and well after, I, I've not been really in control of my emotions, of my sorrow. I have not been able to maintain any dignity or poise in my bearing, and I've come to recognize that that is mourning. That's how it happens. You're not expected to, fee to be dignified when mourning a loss as great as that. Hashtag blessed are those who mourn. Now that we've gauged the breadth of what the word means and the severity of what it means, I think it's worth looking at its application in the context of uh, this beatitude. Now in the Christian church, there has been, uh, th there's been traditionally a specific direction given here. Now, since the days of Chrysostom, this is John Chrysostom, one of the early church fathers, he, around 300 AD, this beatitude has commonly been associated with mourning over the failings of others. And there is biblical precedent here. So look at Ezekiel 9.4. The Lord said to him, go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, Make a mark on the foreheads of the people who groan and sigh over the, all the abominations which have been committed in its midst. These people were mourning over the abominations of Jerusalem and God honored them. God singled them out. He separated them. And look at Ezra 10.6. Then Ezra rose from before the house of God, went into the chamber of Yohanan, the son of Eliashib. Although he went there, he did not eat bread nor drink water because he was mourning over the unfaithfulness of the exiles. But wait, wait. That's 
Old Testament. We're New Testament. We're in the cushy, feel-good part of the Bible, aren't we? Now, why would we mourn over sin? Because we know the ending, and the ending is pretty triumphant. Jesus has done it. Now, if you watch The Lord of the Rings, um, you're not going to feel worried or scared if you see the armies of Mordor uh, before the gates of Minas Tirith. Uh, No, because uh, you know that they will be destroyed in style, and apologies for the spoiler, but the point is, why would you mourn over sin? Because, well, you know, the, the, the story is going to end really, really well. Well, we actually do not know the ending. Salvation is a done deal, but only for those who believe. You cannot, I, I cannot, Nobody can force the world to accept Jesus' sacrifice. And the harsh reality there is that many people we know, we love, we're in touch with, are destined for eternal pain if they're not saved. Now, that's not saying that God delights in sending innocent, um, you know, millions of innocent people to hell. No, no, no. There are no innocent people. There is evil in this world around us. Whether it's the person who murders two students and then just casually walks off, or the person who speeds on the road because, you know, their time is more important than others. It's in the, it's in the little lies in the playground or the, or the horrible wars on the news. It's, in, it's right here in Southern Coldfield in, in nasty, real ways like slavery, homelessness, and the general greed that's turning our own climate against us. Now, these are all the net effects of evil, or what we call sin, in this world. Now, the utter incomprehensibleness about it is that Jesus gave us the entire, complete, whole solution 2,000 years back, but we're on the whole rejecting it. Picture this. If we lived, if everyone lived the way God intended us, this would be heaven on earth. Literally. But we're not. I'm not. And there is, uh, there is a mourning there. It is entirely appropriate to mourn for the world around us. In fact, in fact, mourning for the world is a reflection of how deeply the gospel truths have impacted and penetrated our way of thinking. Hashtag blessed are those who mourn. But there is a darker, deeper, more personal side to this. Here I am, redeemed, a child of God, washed in the matchless blood of Jesus. I stand in the presence of God every day in prayer. And yet, yet I consistently fall in my feelings, in my thinking, in my words, in my actions. Now, we love Jesus as a church. We talk about it. We sing about it. We, we, we don't want to do anything that would mess up our relationship or hurt our Savior. We want to live a life that screams, I value that precious blood shed for me at Calvary, and I want to live a life that reflects it. But no, that's not my experience. Much as I would like to live worthy of that holy name, I fall 
with spectacular regularity. Now Paul talks about this um, in Romans 7.24. Wretched, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? No matter how hard we try, we're still miserably falling short. And there is a morning there. A weirdly righteous morning. A morning that resonates with the prayer of that tax collector we talked about last week. The prayer of spiritual poverty. A morning that recognizes our fleshly sinful nature that we carry around. That I will carry around till the day I die. I don't like it. I resent it. I fight it. I hate it because I recognize the impact it has on me, on those around me, and on my relationship with my God. But I can't do anything about it. It's part of me. Hashtag blessed are those who mourn. Mourning for our sin and the sins of the world is part of our flourishing in the kingdom of God. For those who are poor in spirit, recognize our need for God, then we recognize our sin and we mourn and lament and grieve for its presence in our life and the life of the world around us. But the good news is we will be comforted. It says, for they shall be comforted. Now we've seen this uh, phrasing in the previous one, for they shall be is exclusive language. It means for they and they alone. So there is a grieving of sin that comes from those who are poor in spirit as part of God's kingdom. But they and they, they alone, alone shall be comforted. There is a present reality of comfort will come to the people of God as they flourish and grow in his kingdom as they mourn and grieve for the presence and effects of sin in their life. Which leads to the question of how does God's comfort available to us now as believers as we lament and grieve and weep and mourn at our sin? So what does it mean to be comfort in the kingdom of God? What are the present realities that we can look at? So I'm going to look at three things that we're going to go through that hopefully remind us of what it means to be men and women comforted uh, as we grieve for the presence and effects of sin in our lives. Now, when we are poor in spirit, we recognize our need for God. When we recognize our sin and our distance from God, it causes us to cry out to Him in repentance and call on Him to help us. And as a result of that, three things happen. Many things happen. I'm just going to focus on three, three things. The first one is that we are declared not guilty. Kingdom comfort comes from knowing I am forgiven and declared not guilty. I am forgiven and declare not guilty. Our poverty of spirit recognizes our desperate need for Jesus because of our sin, which puts us under righteous judgment. We cry out to him. We recognize we have an unpayable debt towards a holy God. And we say we can't, we can't get out. We can't pay it. It's too, the numbers are too big. There are just too many zeros there. And we cry out to Jesus through his death and resurrection. And as a result... We are forgiven our sin, the debt we could not pay. We are forgiven because of Jesus' death. We are declared not guilty by the righteous judge. And we are set free from the condemnation and the punishment of sin. That is good news. Hashtag blessed. Because we have been forgiven for all that we owe. 
When the, uh, the tax collector cried out, have mercy on me, a sinner, we saw that last week in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, that is the prayer Jesus answers. That is the prayer Jesus comes to. But then it also begs the question, okay, wait a minute, as Aaron pointed out, we mess up daily, don't we? Okay, maybe I'll rephrase that. We, we mess up daily, don't I? Anyone else? Yes, we mess up daily, but then, wait a minute, we've been declared not guilty, but I'm still messing up in thought, word, and deed. I'm still messing up by the things I do and the things I don't do that I should do. How do I do that? Well, thankfully, we have, still have the blood of Jesus. It says in 1 John 1, 8 and 9, if we, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin... He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when we sin and we mess up daily again and again, we grieve it, we mourn it. I don't believe I did it, but we return to Jesus and again we are forgiven and declared not guilty. So when we come to the end and we face judgment, we know as we stand before the Lord of heaven and earth, we've only got one place to go, which is his grace and his mercy, and he will declare us not guilty. That's what it means to flourish in the kingdom of God. When the enemy comes to condemn and confuse, we look him straight in the eye and we say, not guilty. Hashtag blessed. Second thing, we are made holy. So it's more than just forgiveness. Forgiveness is having your debt cancelled. You're in the red. That's the right one, isn't it, Charlotte? The red debt, that's the right one. That's the bad one. Zero, 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 zero. You are out of debt. The debt is then paid. It brings it back to zero. No more in debt. Being made holy is then having a massive deposit into your bank account. So you are in the black. Zero, 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 zero. And we have been made righteous in Christ. We have not just been forgiven. We have not just had the debt we could not pay um, taken from us. We've actually been given what we did not earn, which is the righteousness of Christ. As we have been saved, as we cried out to him, as we've recognized our poverty, as we've mourned for our sin, we receive the righteousness of Christ, which means we are no longer sinners, we are now saints. We are no longer fallen and separated from God, we are now holy and righteous before him. We have the same standing before God as Jesus does, which means we can never be removed from his kingdom, which means no matter how much we mess up, the forgiveness is there. The righteousness is there. We can never be away from him. We can never be removed from him. We are saved. It is a done deal, as Aaron said. So we have been forgiven. We have been made holy. This is something to bring us great comfort in this life. And the third one is we have now been called a beloved child. We have been adopted into his family. So, Kingdom comfort comes from knowing that I am a child of God. He is my father. Being forgiven is legal language, not guilty. Being made holy is religious language. Being adopted is family language. And we have received all of them as those who recognize their poverty of spirit and mourn for their sin and they cry out to God. We have a father in heaven who adores us, who loves us, who is for us, who wants to know us, who wants to gather us up. We have a relationship there with him that nothing can separate us from, his love and his care for us. I have two boys in our family, and I am their father. 
And it doesn't matter what they do or what they say or how they act or where they go, I will always be their father and I will always love them and I will always be for them. And, that is, and God is so much better and bigger than me. And so we have been adopted into his family. We have been called close, like the picture of the father in the prodigal son. What happens when the son came back? We love the image. What did he do? He ran towards him and he scooped him up. And he just said, I love you and I missed you. And he celebrated his return. And there was a banquet and there was feasting. The Father in heaven loves us. So we have been forgiven. We have been made holy. We have been adopted into his family. And so no matter what happens on this earth in our lives, we can say we will flourish in the kingdom because we are hashtag blessed. Because we have a God who sorted out our biggest problem, our sin, our separation, our alienation from God. And how do we experience this now? How do we experience this now? Well, Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 16, he said, I'm going to ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter, the Holy Spirit. I'm going away, Jesus said. He was referring to his, uh, his coming death and resurrection. He was teaching his disciples where he left. He said, I've got to go away. He even said, do you know what? It's better that I go away. And I can imagine the disciples, if I was there, would be like, how can it possibly be better that you leave us, Lord? Because I'm going to send another who will be with you forever, the Holy Spirit. And if we look at what the role of the Holy Spirit does, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, reminds us of our poverty, but then it reminds us that we are forgiven in Christ. It imparts to us the righteousness of Christ so that we can stand before the Father. It says the Holy Spirit causes us to cry out, Abba, Father, so that we can come before him in prayer. It draws us into the community, the church, the people of God. It opens God's word to us so we can read and understand it. When we are full, men and women full of the Holy Spirit, we are hashtag blessed and we are comforted for that. But what about the world around us? It's all right, this is me. I'm fine. I'm forgiven. <laughs> I'm holy. I know I don't look it, but I am. I'm adopted, but what about that world around us? What do we do? Well, we, as the men and women of God who've been full of the Spirit, we are sent out into the world to proclaim comfort. And we have a message to send them, to say that what you're facing, the situations in the world, there is an answer, and his name is Jesus. You can have a relationship with your Father in heaven through him. Your sin and your shame and your, your alienation and your condemnation can be dealt with through Christ. And so we have a message to the world that we are to proclaim. We also have a hope that one day in this world, when we see the television reports and they appear on social media and we just despair and grieve, that we know one day every injustice will be righted. Every wrong will be made right. Every pain will be healed. There'll be no more suffering and there'll be no more tears and there'll be no more crime because the old order, the current order we live in will be passed away. 
and we will dwell with him forever. And that's what it means to be hashtag blessed, comforted in this world. All right, let's land with a little bit of application. There's a few questions I want to ask you today. If you are following along with us, please keep reading the Beatitudes. We're reading it every night with our boys as part of our kind of just Bible time, prayer time. So if you're reading it, studying it, keep reviewing it, keep listening to it, um, keep um, checking out what God's going to say, jot down anything that comes up. But here's a few questions to earth what we looked at today. First one, how do you view your sin? How do you view your sin? We all know how we view everyone else's sin because it's utterly terrible, everyone else's sin. Everything they've done or said to you or not done, oh, it's the worst thing ever. How do you view your sin? Is it a mere inconvenience, an unfortunate habit, just who I am? Is it something that barely registers on the spiritual kind of barometer because the reality of sin in our life the things we think and we say and we do the things that we shouldn't have done or sorry the things we should have done that we didn't do as well as the things we did do that we shouldn't have done do they register as an affront to a holy God do they register as separation from God and his goodness do they register as the reason Jesus died on a cross because my sin put him there. And so how do we view our sin? How do we appreciate it when we do it? Is it something we're so easy to dismiss? I remember hearing back in the day saying, someone told me that a sin justified just makes two. And I thought, darn, Darn, I was doing so well. I was reducing the list by justifying them all, and suddenly I just doubled it. Do you recognize your poverty of spirit? Do you mourn before God for your sin? Because when we do, then we come before God and we receive his comfort. Are there things you need to repent of this morning? Are there things you need to put right before him this morning? Are there things you need to deal with, to confess? to talk to someone about. Second question, where do you find your comfort? Where do you find your comfort? Do you find it in the things of the world? In jobs, in home, in food, in holidays, in family, in health, relationships? While none of those are bad per se, they are gifts from God, if we rely on them, we put our faith and trust in them, and they're the places we go to with comfort. They will never satisfy. They will never fully uh, scratch where we are itching. And if we put our faith and trust in them, it reminds us that we're not putting our faith and trust in God and putting our comfort, finding our comfort with him. When we realize we're poor in spirit and we grieve over our sin, there's only one place we can go to get that dealt with, which is Jesus. And so, I don't know where you find yourself today. I don't know, even know through the process of this sermon, God's been just pushing things on you. Come to him today. We began the series with setting your heart posture. Where is your heart leaning towards? Here's a day to realign that posture. 
where do we find our comfort? Do we find it in the things of God or the things of this world? Aaron, could you read the final one? Finally, are we living in the light of eternity? For those of us who are Christians here, um, we believe in Jesus. We believe in it, an eternal life. And we know that the people around us um, who are not saved, their decisions have an eternal and profound consequence. I know some of us are, many of us, all of us probably, are praying for people like that. And I just want to encourage you to continue and not lose hope. The cost is just too great. When, when my father passed away, the greatest comfort I had was knowing that I would see him again. And that is a big deal. So don't lose hope. Bring them, continue to bring them with tears, with grieving, in prayer before the God who can change every circumstance. May the God of comfort and peace guide you in this. If you're not a Christian here, as in you've not taken a commitment to follow Jesus, um, can I challenge you as a friend? What holds you back today? Now, the, 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 the comforts we have, the, um, the, the stability we have is all going to go away. And, and to be honest, so are you. Mortality is real. Um, so my question to you is, what holds you back from sorting things out with God now? So we're going to try and make this real and respond to what God's been speaking to you. Um, can I ask you to please stand with me? And the band can move forward now. Yeah, join us. Well, you're standing. If, you're, if you feel comfortable, just bow your head. Close your eyes and hold out your hand in an attitude of openness to God. We've talked about mourning. We've talked about uh, recognizing where we stand. We've talked about recognizing some harsh realities, recognizing our spiritual poverty and the need to mourn over sin. And we recognize Jesus in all of this. And I'm going to ask you to to just um, turn your attention to God. Metaphorically step into his presence. As Phil was saying earlier, lock your eyes on Jesus. This is God. This is the God before whom Isaiah said, Woe to me, for I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips. Peter said, Go away from me. I am a sinful man. Thomas fell on his knees and said, my Lord, my God. How are we standing before God right now? And I mean, is, the, is there anything that we can claim significance on? Our, whatever we have, our achievements, our status, our skills, talents, whatever we bring is not going to stand up before God. It's, it's going to shrivel in insignificance because before the holiness of God. We bring nothing. But what we get, what, what comes to us in this 
insane exchange powered by love is Jesus. No. We stand holy in the presence of this God because of Jesus. We stand resplendent in glory because of Jesus. We are one in the beloved. We are sons, daughters, the family of God because of Jesus. Now, as we stand here, just want to recognize that Jesus in our, is in our midst right now. This is our God. Let's just spend some time together in worshiping him.